0: Good morning, everyone. We are about to go into a very exciting season where we move into our new church uh, building. It's uh, it's imminent. I want to address three questions with you this morning. First of all, what is God calling Church on Main to do? What is the calling on this church? Uh, Secondly, what is uh, your role within that As an individual, thank you, sir. And then, uh, thirdly, why can we do this confidently? Why can there be a boldness and a confidence and a faith in setting about to do the impossible task to which God has called us? So, what is our calling as a church? What is your role as an individual and as a couple within that calling? And why can we approach this calling with confidence? Firstly, what is God calling Church on Main to do? Uh, If you've got your Bible with you this morning, I'd like to ask you to go to Acts chapter 18. Go to Acts uh, chapter 18, and we're going to read verses uh, 1 to 6 together. We're actually, we will read... Uh, a little bit past that further on in our message, but to start with verses 1 to 6, Acts chapter 18. So this is obviously a a, a chronicle of the travels of Paul in his missionary journeys, and this is a a particular account of his work in a city called Corinth. And we read verse 1, After this, Paul left Athens... And he went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, uh, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, the Roman emperor, had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So, this Roman emperor, as part of the persecutions that were beginning to take place against the church, he'd commanded all the Christians to leave uh, Rome. Apparently, Christians were leaving the entire geographic space of Italy at the time because uh, you're never quite sure what these emperors are going to do, so uh, we're not sure if they were in Rome or just in the greater expanse of Italy, but for whatever reason, they decided it's not safe anymore, we've got to leave. We have to get out of here. And so Aquila and his wife Priscilla, being Jews, they leave Italy, they come to Corinth. (coughs) And Paul finds them, and uh, he went to see them. Interesting turn of phrase, which we'll look at later. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia... Paul was occupied with the Word. He was occupied, that's how they found him. The state in which he was found when they arrived, uh, Silas and Timothy, how did they find him? Well, this is how they described it. We found him occupied with the Word. What is our calling as a church? Testifying to the Jews and uh, to, the, to the Jews, that Christ, the Christ, was Jesus. Last week, uh, Thomas spoke to us about those two names of Jesus. We think of Jesus Christ as maybe his first and last name. And that's not the case. Uh, Christ was not Jesus' surname. They didn't have surnames in those days. They used to say, "Well, Jesus, son of." So you know, Joshua, son of. Well, Jesus wasn't the son of Joseph, so he was known as Jesus of Nazareth. His surname was not Christ. Christ was an Old Testament term. It was a prophecy of this Messiah that God promised to send into the nation of Israel. And there were many prophecies about what this Messiah would accomplish. And so, Paul is found by Timothy and Silas, and he is found occupied with the Word, and he is persuading the Jews that the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, is Jesus of Nazareth. So firstly, I want us to notice something here. Paul came to Corinth. He didn't come to a suburb of Corinth. He didn't come to a small geographic area. He didn't come to a a place where he he sought to reach a certain uh, precinct. of of shop owners and of people who lived in the area where he could perhaps walk and and which would draw a certain crowd within traveling distance to where uh, he would be able to teach and preach. No, the Bible says he came to Corinth. He came to the city. And he came to reach the entire city. And he did reach the entire city. We we are not called to Weinberg. That is not the calling on church on man. And as much as we love the people in Weinberg, they are part of the city of Cape Town, so we do seek to reach them as we seek to reach everybody else in the city. But the first state of mind that we must have when we go to Weinberg is that we are not going to the suburb of Weinberg. We are not going to reach the shop owners around the mill. We are not going there to now all of us focus our attention on on, on reaching the people who live in the flats around the Weinberg area. That is not what the calling on Church on Main is. We are called to reach the city of Cape Town. Understand that. Because that will change everything about how we view both the building at the mill and our ministry within and from the church in Weinberg. It's just a place where we find ourselves administratively centered. Our heart and our vision is for this entire city. Paul was called to Corinth. Second of all, Paul was called to um, a city, not a synagogue. So we find Paul; he goes to the synagogue when he arrives in Corinth. But as we will read on in the in the narrative, we see that Paul doesn't stay in the synagogue. When things uh, get a little heated at the synagogue, he steps over the the the, the neighbors garden fence that was next to the synagogue, steps over the fence and starts preaching in the next door neighbor's house. We're not called to stand uh, and in that building and stay in that building and do all of our ministry in that building. If we think of that building as the place where Jesus has to come and save the entire city, we will never reach the city. It's it's simply a place to go from which we then can move out, stepping over garden fences, and find places where we can fruitfully share the gospel of Jesus Christ. A city, not a synagogue. Paul was found in Corinth. He goes uh, goes to the synagogue, and he's persuading, the Bible says, Jews and Greeks... And he's occupied with the word. So we ask the question, what is God calling church on main to do? The answer is found in what Paul was found busy with in Corinth. We as a church are found, our calling is to persuade men and women, all men and women. Jews and Greeks, what does that mean? That means young and old. That means men and women, that means black and white and colored in every other shade. It means every generation. It it means every possible type of person. We are called to persuade people of what? That the Christ of the prophecies of the Old Testament is Jesus of Nazareth. That is our call as a church. Our call is to persuade All men, that the one who Isaiah said would be born of a virgin, that that one in the Old Testament who would be born of a virgin, our our job is to persuade men from the Scriptures that that one born of a virgin is Jesus of Nazareth. Our role as a church is to persuade all men and women that the one that Jacob Uh, prophesied in in Genesis chapter 49, the one that he said would be born into the tribe of Judah, that that one who was born of Joseph and Mary, the lineage, the genealogy, was in the tribe of Judah, that that one is Jesus of Nazareth. Our job is to persuade men and women, all people, that the one that Micah said would be born in Bethlehem, that that one is Jesus of Nazareth. That the one who Hosea said would spend time in Egypt and then return into Israel. That the one who Jeremiah said would, uh, whose birth would cause many of the children of Israel to be killed. Rachel weeping for her children. The one who Isaiah and Malachi said uh, whose way would be prepared before him by a, a preacher in the wilderness crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. The one who Daniel said would die 483 years after the, the beginning of the rebuilding of the temple. Incredible prophecy fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He died 483 years after uh, the return from uh, captivity in Babylon and when they began to rebuild the temple. 483 years later, Jesus Christ died on the cross. You explain that to me. Incredible. that the one that Isaiah said would live a sinless life in Isaiah chapter 53, that he would be rejected by the Jews, he would be put to death, that uh, he would die as a substitute for mankind, that he would purchase peace with God for us by bearing our iniquities upon himself, that he would rise from the dead. This one who, according to Isaiah, would bear the sin of many that this one is Jesus of Nazareth. That's what, our, that's what our calling as a church is. The one that Zechariah foretold, whose body would be pierced. The one who David said in Psalm 22 that his hands and his feet would be pierced, that he would thirst, that he would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And whose, for whose robe they would uh, play dice for. All of these prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. And the one whose body, David said in Psalm 16, would not see decay, that he would rise from the dead physically in the same body in which he died. Our role as a church is to persuade all people throughout Cape Town that this Christ prophesied in the Old Testament is Jesus of Nazareth. I hope I've made my point. That is our calling as a church. Secondly, what is your role within that? What part do you play? Is your part to come on a Sunday and sit and listen and then go back to the rest of your life? Is that your role? Well, if that's, if that's the part that you play for now and for a season, there's nothing wrong with that. If that's where you are in your life right now, if, if what you need is to come to church on a Sunday in your journey towards finding God and finding greater intimacy with Him and growing in your relationship with the Lord, then that's fine. You're welcome here. You are welcome here. We, we don't expect anything from any of you. But if you have a heart to play a role within this this global calling upon us as a church, let me tell you, my friend, there is plenty of space for you. Paul, the Bible says, goes to Corinth, and he meets a man named Aquila. I I want us to see what Paul does. This is apostolic thinking that I think... Every single Christian can have. He's, he, he's constantly thinking, how can I reach into people's lives and, and, and form relationship so that the gospel can begin to take root, so that I can begin to persuade all men that the Christ of the Old Testament is Jesus of Nazareth. How can I do that? He meets a man. Where did he meet Aquila? In all likelihood. Where would one Jew meet another Jew when they were both new to a city? Because both of them had only just come to Corinth. In all likelihood, they met in the synagogue. Where does a good Jew go on a Saturday? Go to synagogue. So where does Paul go when he gets to Corinth? This is very common with Paul. We see in every city that he goes to, he goes to the place where he will find relationships, where he can begin to... Connect with individuals so that he can find a way to begin planting the seed of the gospel. Relationships are key. Key. He goes to the synagogue. He meets a man named Aquila. In all likelihood, Aquila was not saved at this point. There is no indication that Aquila had had any contact with any kind of Christian message before. Remember, he'd come from Rome. Somewhere in Italy. He comes to Corinth. Paul meets him at the synagogue. Paul is friendly. Paul is friendly. Sometimes we don't think of Paul that way. Paul was friendly to unbelievers. He goes to the synagogue. He begins speaking with Aquila. Afterwards, he finds out Aquila is new. He asks him, Where do you live? Where are you staying? Why did you leave Italy? Are you married? What, what, what is your occupation? What do you do? I'm a tent maker. Ooh. Hang on a second. Let me tell you what happens when you're friendly. If you're willing to engage with people and be kind to them and take an interest in their lives, every now and again, something will click. A piece of the puzzle will fall into place and you will see God's fingerprints all over a relationship. And Paul, he may not have said something at the time, but as he hears Aquila say, oh, we are tent makers by trade, got it, I've got it. So what does Paul do? Within the next week, Paul does a little house visitation. Go and read it. It says, he went to visit them. So not only does he go where he can build relationships, he he is friendly, He, he engages with Aquila Perhaps he met Priscilla as well, he engages, he's friendly, and that week, somehow he found out where they were staying, and and they get a knock on their front door. And he visits them. And they say, oh, what a great surprise. He says, it was so lovely meeting you guys at synagogue on Saturday. They invite him in, they have a little whatever you would have in a Jewish house, And the relationship begins to grow. He says, I'm also a tent maker by trade. I was interested that you said you're a tent maker. Um, Perhaps we could engage in business together. Perhaps I could serve you in your business. We don't quite know exactly what that relationship looked like, but they begin working together. Oh, now Paul is beginning to be integrated into their lives. You know, many people have said that, uh, you know, Paul... Uh, went to Corinth and he worked as a tent maker because he needed to fund his own ministry. Later in the book of of Corinthians, we see that Paul says, although I had the right to take money from you, the Corinthian church, I did not use that right so that the gospel would not be profane, so that people wouldn't criticize me as being money hungry and a money grabber. I chose not to exercise the right I had to take money from you, and I chose rather to work with my own hands to support myself. So yes, there is a very strong case that Paul worked, in fact, wherever he went, that he worked with his own hands to produce income for himself. But I want to tell you that Paul's work often had a missionary mindset. Do you have that with your work? Remember, we're asking the question, what is your role within the the calling upon church on man? You have a role. Even within your workplace, you have a role. Because you're engaging with people, you're building relationships. So then we know that through this relationship, that Paul builds with Aquila and Priscilla. At some point in that relationship, Aquila and Priscilla get saved. Hallelujah. They get saved. You know how they got saved? Because Paul was not one to keep his mouth shut. That's how I got saved. There comes a point where we build relationships with unbelievers, folks. There comes a point where we have to transition from friendliness, non-confrontational, and certainly in the early exchanges, be very careful. But there comes a point in that relationship where you will either... Lose your moment or take your moment? Where you have to share the gospel with people. Are you willing to take those moments? For those of you who struggle with that, with you know sharing the gospel message, you don't see yourself as an evangelist, can I encourage you, sometimes the very strongest witness that you can give When God presents the moment, and you've been praying for your Priscilla and your Aquila, and you've been praying, God, let me serve these people, let me build a relationship with them, let me earn their trust, but God, give me an opportunity to share the gospel with them. When you've been praying, let me tell you, one of of the most powerful things that you can do, and every one of us can do this, is just share your testimony. Tell them what happened to you. No one gets cross when you share your testimony your story. You have every right to tell your story. And you're not telling them to do anything. It's not confrontational. When last did you tell your testimony to someone? What is your role within this calling upon church on man? We need to be thinking like this. This is what your role is. There are Priscilla's and Aquillas throughout this entire city and in your workplaces and in your sporting uh, activities and in your children's school environments, parents, in all of these environments, there are Priscilla's and Aquillas. And if you will be friendly and engage, and if you will visit them in their home and pop around and build, a, God will provide opportunities. He will overwhelm you with his grace and his power and things will begin to grow together. And then the opportunities will come. So I want to ask you... Um, <laughs> you know, I, I actually wanted to share a little... There's a, there's a girl in this church uh, named Mumisa. Some of you know Ngomisa. She's married to Nick, a British guy. Um, they've got a beautiful little daughter, Emitle. You've probably seen them around. Mumisa, although she will tell you she's not a, an evangelist or a preacher... Let me tell you, that girl is more of an evangelist than me or you or anybody else in this room. She is incredible the way she draws near to people. About a year ago, she's sitting, uh, having her hair cut. And um, there's a lady sitting next to her, having her hair cut. uh, And this lady is speaking to her hairdresser, and Nomisa is overhearing this conversation. And this lady is saying... I, um, you know, we're, we're new to, to, to Cape Town, my husband and I, we've just moved to Cape Town, but Cape Town is such a difficult city to make friends in, and everyone seems to have their own little clique of, of friends, and, and it's just so, it's been so difficult for us, and I can't make friends. So, what does Numisa do? Does she go, oh, shame. No, she interrupts their conversation, and listen to these words. This is Christian missionary work. She says, I'll be your friend. Hallelujah. (laughs) She says, I'll be your friend. Give me your number. And she didn't say, here's my number, call me. She got this lady's number. This lady's name is Neriah. She got Neriah's number, and she phoned her. Invited her for coffee. Went to visit her. Built a friendship. Over several months, that friendship began to grow. Then my wife and I, we start a home group in our house. Nick and Mumisa come to the home group. Guess who they invite? Nurai and her husband. Guess who's coming to our home group? Nurai and her husband. And they're hearing all about the Christ of the Old Testament and how he is Jesus of Nazareth. This is how it works, folks. This is how churches grow. This is how the kingdom spreads. I want to ask you a question. Now, I want you to think about this. Who can you visit this week? I've got someone in my head that I can visit. Often when you visit someone for the first time, a good excuse is to take a little gift. So the guy that I'm going to go and visit, I've got a, I've, uh, he likes traveling, I'm going to go and find a book on travel. And I'm going to pop in and say, hey, I was just in the area, are you guys into traveling? Thought you'd enjoy the book. You know what? If that's all that, if that's all that ever happens, That's great wonderful. It's, it's love shown from one human being to another. But you know what? God might just say, there's, there's a purpose here. He might just let the conversation evolve and this guy might just say, oh, I'm a tent maker. Do you understand what I mean when I say that? There might be a point of connection that the Lord gives. If you never visit anyone, you'll never find the point of connection. Who can you visit this week? What's your role within the charge of church on man let me tell you it's a lot more than sitting in that chair on a sunday morning second question how can you make a way for the gospel in people's lives who can you visit how can you make a way for the gospel to be preached there are people in this room have, who have the ability to put groups of people together to whom the gospel can be preached you need to get out of the box around where the gospel is preached. I remember some years ago, um, a, friend, uh, uh, and, and, and our, a friend and his wife and, and Daniela and myself, we went to a fan court together. Wonderful place to go and have a little holiday. And uh, we were playing golf, this mate and I. And our caddy, uh, turns out, is a believer. So now, I'm thinking... This is fantastic. The caddies are believer. There's uh, about sixty caddies that work at Fancourt. They have a caddy shack where they meet. They have a morning meeting. So now my mind is starting to tick. Entrepreneurial evangelism. Why not? Anywhere there's a crowd, there's a congregation. So, I'm telling to, so I am to said, listen, so what, do you guys have meetings? Yeah, we do. We meet all of us every morning. I said, well, could we join you tomorrow morning? He says, sure. I'll tell the guys to be there. He was like the head caddy. So the next morning, we arrive, my mate and I, Bible in hand, 60 caddies. We preach the gospel to them. We give a little opportunity for people to respond afterwards. Literally, 50 out of 60 responded. We've got 50 guys kneeling, standing arm in arm, praying. Just because, you know, there's an evangelist's ear all the time thinking, how can we make a way for the gospel here? I remember um, listening to Michael Ramsden speak one uh, point. Michael Ramsden's a British uh, apologist, works with uh, Ravi Zacharias. And um, I remember him telling a story of how a businessman who he was familiar with decided one day that, uh, you know, he was going to take the gospel out of the church building and bring it to his home. Why not? He said to uh, Michael Ramsden, look, I could put a group of my business colleagues together, very senior people. This was actually in Cape Town while Michael was here. This meeting was held in Sternberg Estate. He said, I can invite a whole lot of the guys. I'll, produ- I'll you know, put on some catering, some uh, glasses of wine or whatever. I'll get the guys there. But you must do the preaching. So they did that. So Michael Ramsden shares a message on the gospel. There's 20, 30 senior business people in the room. And instead of, you know, uh, I think wisely so, instead of a sort of public altar call type thing, they just had a response card. They gave to each person quietly and said, right, if you would like to respond, if you're open to joining a Bible study and you'd like to learn more about the faith, please fill in the card and leave it with us afterwards. They got like 10 or 15 cards with a person that ticked. I would be open to attending a Bible study. Let me tell you, my friends, there are people out there whose hand God is upon, who 's drawing them, and we 're not reaching them because we think our role is sitting in a, in a seat on a Sunday morning. There are priscillas and aquilas all across the city, and we must find them go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creatures that is our mandate so Danielle runs a a Bible study for women got a Beth Moore series she puts the video on They have the workbooks and there are a whole bunch of women some parents from Herschel where our kids go to school Some ladies within this church, and they meet on a Thursday morning, and it's been an incredible time of fellowship and growing and of witness in the Lord. There are women out there, ladies, who would join a Bible study if you ran one in your home. If you just invited them. So, why can we do this confidently? It's my final point. So, what is our role? to persuade men and women of all shapes, colors, and sizes that the Christ of the Old Testament is Jesus of Nazareth. What is your role within that? Who can you visit? Who can you visit? What can you do to make a way for the gospel to be preached? You know, there are some of you guys, I'm, I'm not digressing again. There are some of you in this room that have the capacity of putting a room full of people together. And if that's all you can do, that's all you need to do. Come and speak to me. Come and speak to Nkulu. Come and speak to any of the, the elders in the church. We will come and preach. We will put the Bible study together. Do you understand? This is a collaborative effort. We have to work together. Why not? You can do it, man. You've got one life. Live it to the full for Jesus Christ. Why can we do this confidently? Let's carry on from uh, verse 6 in Acts chapter 18. And when they opposed, this is the Jews in the synagogue, when they opposed and reviled him, Paul, he shook out his garments and he said to them, your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there, and he went to the house of a man named Titius Eustace, a worshipper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. And then, fascinating to me, guess who gets saved? Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believes in the Lord, together with his whole household. Sometimes we've got to have a little bit of backbone for the Lord. Paul shows a little bit of backbone, and he moves next door, and the, and the and a ruler of the synagogue watches this and he sees a man of conviction, and he himself gets convicted and he gets saved. Together with all his household and many of the Corinthians, and we see revival starts breaking out. Many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. Now I want you to listen to this next little phrase. For I, so Jesus is saying to Paul, go on speaking. Keep doing what you're doing. Why? For I have many in this city who are my people. I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. In John chapter 10, I'll read this to you. You don't have to go there. Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. When they see me, they know me. Even if they haven't seen me yet. When they do see me, when they're encountered with me, they know me. Because they're mine. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Now listen to this. And I have, present tense, I have already other sheep that are not of this fold. What's he talking about? The Gentiles. Jesus is, he was sent to the Jews. And he says, my sheep know me, they hear my voice, they follow me. But he says, I've got other sheep, not of this fold, not of the Jewish fold. I already have them, they are mine. And, listen, I must, future tense, bring them also. And they will, future tense, listen to my voice. They will, irresistibly, unavoidably, They will listen to my voice. When they see me, they'll know me. What is this teaching? And I have to to be bold with you, okay, about this. Because this is, I know it's contentious territory, but it is an irrefutable doctrine of the Bible that God has predestined certain people to salvation. He says to Paul, I want you to continue speaking because I already have. There are many people in this city who are mine. And I want them to hear the gospel. The way they are going to get saved is through the preaching of the gospel. Jesus said, I have, I have sheep who are not of this fold. He is not, the preaching hasn't even gone to the Gentiles yet. That only happens in the book of Acts. But he says, they're already mine. And I will bring them in. Why can we do this confidently? Why can we preach the gospel confidently? Why can we set up evangelistic opportunities confidently? Why can you visit people and build friendships and relationships confidently? Why can we study the Bible together confidently and seek to reach people? You know why? Because God has already ordained that there are people outside in the city who are going to get saved. They are predestined for salvation. They are his elect. They are his sheep. And when they hear the gospel, they will irresistibly flee to Jesus for salvation. We preach in hope. We preach in confidence because God has elected sinners. Now, one of the the, the criticisms of the biblical doctrine of election is that it dissuades preaching, that it makes preaching void. And that quite categorically is not the case. In fact, the most outstanding um, encouragement to me as a preacher is to know I do not preach in my own power with my own persuasiveness. I'm not trying to persuade people with my own persuasiveness to come into the kingdom. Our job is to preach the gospel. And when the gospel is preached, his sheep will hear and they will come. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the way that God has ordained for sinners to come to Him, for His elect to come in, the way He's ordained for it to happen is through preaching. That's how He's chosen to reach them. That's why we must do it, and we must do it with all our hearts. What is God calling Church on Main to do? To persuade men and women of all shapes, colors, and sizes, and ages... That the, Jesus, that the Christ of the Old Testament, the Messiah, is Jesus of Nazareth. That He is the Savior of the world. And that all men and women must repent of their sins and believe in Him. For forgiveness and salvation. That is our calling as a church and we are called to the city to do that. What is your role in this? Who can you visit? What can you do to create a space for the gospel to be preached? Of course, there are many other things you could do. What can you do to prepare for the next site that this church opens? In the next 24 months, we may plant a site in town and in Durbanville. What are you doing now to prepare for that? Will you be willing to go like a missionary to one of those sites and serve as a worship leader? Will you be willing to to offer your house to to open a, a home group? What are you doing now? If you've got it in your heart to open your home for a home group, come and speak to the elders. And they'll put you on a track to be able to have a home group. There are endless opportunities to prepare for where we are going as a church. You need to play an active role. And lastly, why can we do it confidently? Because God says... I have many in this city who are my people. Amen.